It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yeah, they'll know we are Christians by our love. In times where everyone is so divided, how can we be a good neighbor? Feeling all of his mysteries and making everything as plain as day. And if I have faith to say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I own to the poor, or even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beautiful wood. We are beginning an eight-week series entitled, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And obviously, you've seen from the video, we're questioning, is it a beautiful day in the neighborhood? I want to take a quick moment and just thank Isaac Jarnigan for putting that together, kind of taking my crazy creative thoughts and actually being able to put them into something that's very impactful. Uh, he spends a lot of time on it, so if you see him, uh, just go over and thank him for essentially his efforts as well. I want to take a moment, and as we start this series, I want to just take a second and have you assess what your neighborhood is like. Are you engaging your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know their hurts? Do you know their spiritual condition? One of the things that I think is interesting, particularly in my life, is as a child, I remember and recognize that in our neighborhood, we would spend time out in the cul-de-sac. We would know who our neighbors were. It wasn't uncommon for friends to come over to the house and say, hey, can Trevor come out and play? Uh, we would go over to our other neighbors, and if they needed, obviously, the kind of you know, cup of sugar or whatever it was, we'd be happy to give that to them. What I noticed today is something very, very different. I notice individuals who are moving to their job, doing whatever it is that they do, they take their car, their neighborhood is their car, they go to work, they do what they need to do, they get back into their car, they drive home, up goes the garage door, in goes the car, down goes the garage door, and the neighborhood that they live in is their own home. 
They live with loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, concern, wondering what is going on. And so my question to us is, is it a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Let's also just begin to speak about what we're seeing, particularly around our communities these days. Individuals divided over multiple things. The smallest of things can cause people to essentially block someone or not want to spend time with them. The question that I ask is, what's happening to the sense of community? And brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things that I would tell us is we have a tremendous opportunity to bring back the beautiful day in the neighborhood. If ever there's a time when we can impact our neighborhood, it is now. I want to start off, though, with a, sort of a series of a, uh, 12 ways to improve your neighborhood right now. And this comes from the city of Green Bay. I think it's very interesting. We're just going to read these and we're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, first and foremost, they say to report crime promptly. That's a good idea, and I think that's important. If we see crime in our neighborhood, we probably should let people know that something's going on. They also say that you should report nuisances and other non-criminal problems promptly. So when I see somebody waving the Kansas City Chiefs flag next to me, I'm going to report them. <laughs> we should also take away the opportunity for crime. Not a bad idea. How do we do that? Now they should meet with the youth who live in the block and get to know them by their name. I think that's a really good suggestion. They should make a list of all the names and phone numbers of every neighbor in your block. Let me ask this. Do you know the names of your neighbors on your block? Do you want to know the names of your neighbors on your block? Make a list of all the landlords in your areas as well. Turn on your porch light. Walk around the block. Drive slowly in neighborhood streets. That would be nice. Pick up litter near your home, even if you didn't put it there. Stay where you are. Assuming that that is, is essentially removing sort of the transient nature of people engaging in a neighborhood, building a sense of community, and then help your neighborhood association or similar groups. And this comes from obviously Green Bay. I'm not dissing them. I'm just taking an example of multiple aspects of how communities are moving and saying this is how we can make our neighborhoods better. Uh, I chose this one just because it was a good example. I'm not, again, sort of targeting Green Bay for any particular reason. I'm just giving an example to it to demonstrate to us that while these suggestions are good, is that really going to make it a beautiful day in the neighborhood? I can get to know people's names. That's not a big deal. I can pick up my trash. You know, I can report crime, but I can also look at my neighbor with contempt I cannot really want to get to know them at all. I can continue in my individualistic lifestyle and not share with them the greatest news that I received about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can build up our walls and live within our castle, and we can build the moat around us, and we can feel good about ourselves. We can come to church and we can worship, and we can feel good about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the question is, is what are we doing to engage our neighborhood. 
Brothers and sisters, we're going to start off a series that I pray is going to challenge, convict, and probably step on several toes. But my prayer in this is that when we're done, we're going to look at our neighborhood and the community around us in a different way. We're going to become countercultural. We're going to engage the community for Jesus Christ. We're going to be salt and light in our world. People are going to see that we care about them more than we care about ourselves. To do that this morning, though, we need to lay a foundation. And I think in doing so, this is quintessential in understanding everything else. Because if we don't understand God's desire to dwell among us and his heart for us, then everything else that we do is going to be a system of works-based relationship, or it's going to be just something to tick off of our list. We become passionate about engaging our neighborhood when we understand how passionate God is about engaging our neighborhood. So to do that, I want to just take a minute. We're going to start off with this question. What kind of neighbor is God to us? What kind of a neighbor is God to us? Many individuals would say there is no God. Many would say, well, maybe there is a God, but he's not able to be known. Others might say, well, he can become known if you ascend to him, it, her, them, whatever it might be. You might be lucky enough to actually get a glimpse of God. Others might say that there is a God, but the God is there, and he really or she really doesn't want anything to do with you. Who are you, and why are you here? And that we see in the story of Scripture, it's a very different picture about God desiring to move into our neighborhood. In fact, it's a beautiful story, and this is foundational to all of what we're going to talk about over these next eight weeks. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to take a look at a passage in John 1, verses 14 through 18, is going to be our particular focus. What I'd like to do is I'd like to lead them, and then we're going to take a look, essentially, at what John is saying about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is a beautiful proclamation by John about the absolute relational aspect that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has with us and God's desire to dwell among us. First and foremost, what I'd like to show you is this. In the first uh, two verses, God has chosen and continues to choose to move into our neighborhood. What do we mean by that? John essentially is saying that the word meaning Jesus Christ, capital W, because at the start we hear in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
he was with God in the beginning, explaining our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the fact that he was fully man and fully God, and that he humbled himself to come to this earth to live, to die on our behalf so that we might have life. But what I love about this is the word that John chooses to use. The word became flesh, meaning Christ, God, infinite, became a man. That's beautifully sort of discussed in Philippians chapter 2. The fact that the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, someone who is so beyond who we are, would first and foremost even care to come and live among his creation should draw our eyes to him. Because God doesn't have to do that. God doesn't need us. But God chooses to be with us. God didn't do this reluctantly. God didn't do this as sort of a Hail Mary pass. But this is God's continual desire displayed to dwell among his people in rich unity and relationship with them. And then we see this word, and made his dwelling among us. Not a huge fan of the message, but Eugene Peters says, God took up residence in our neighborhood. The word there, if anyone was listening in Jesus' day, would cause them to take notice. Because the word in Greek is, and Jesus tabernacled among us. Now think through that for a minute, because the Jews of Jesus' day would recognize that Yahweh, the God, dwelt among the people. He lived in the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And as we see in the Old Testament, God was continually desiring to dwell among the people. Yet what we also remember about the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant is that it was so holy that the only one that could access, essentially, God was the great high priest. And so what we have to remember and recognize is throughout the story of Scripture, throughout the story of creation, God is desiring to tabernacle, dwell among us. And so God chooses to do so through the Ark of the Covenant, but then the ultimate culmination of that is displayed through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where he is fully God and fully man. He's born and dwells or tabernacles among us. So here's this infinite God living in his infinite world, doing his infinite things, desiring to dwell among his people to the point that he gives his one and only son to become human, yet fully God, to move or tabernacle or take residence up in our neighborhood. And so Jesus does, and Jesus lives, and Jesus teaches, and Jesus has died, because what we realize is Jesus' mission is to go to the cross on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with him, so that we can take residence in his neighborhood. 
So Christ goes to the cross, dies upon it, rises from the grave, and gives opportunity for us to trust in him. And by placing our faith and trust in him, through his mercy and his grace, we move from one neighborhood that we're destined for to another. And for all of you that are playing Monopoly, essentially, you go from Baltic Avenue and you land on Boardwalk and you get Park Place with a bunch of hotels. Jesus does that for us. And then Jesus essentially rises from the grave, demonstrates indeed that he's triumphed over sin and death, spent time among his people. And then he says, here's the deal. I'm going to go to your new neighborhood of residence. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And while I do, I want you to bring my neighborhood to those around you. But take heart as you do. I'm not going to leave you alone. But I'm going to take up residence in your neighborhood. I'm going to go into those dark, ugly, sin-encrusted parts of you. And I'm going to take residence there through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to dwell within you. I'm going to take residence in your neighborhood. I didn't earn it. I didn't buy it. I didn't figure it out. But God moved in. And God moves in in the heart of all who will believe. God takes up residence in us. Why does he do this? And what do we have? Well, not only has God chosen and continues to choose to move into our neighborhood, and he will continue to do so until Christ's return. God is willing to move into the neighborhood of his people through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit that moves and takes residence in our neighborhood. Changes our hearts, changes our trajectory, moves us from death to life. Now that's the kind of neighbor that I want to have. And he does this because of God's grace. He wants to dwell among us. God wants to be with us. It's not so that we can become his slaves. It's not so that we can become essentially the ones that exalt him and that's all that goes on. But yes, we are called to bring him glory. But it's not a singular relationship. God says, come. Come to me and let me move in so that I might change you, but then you might go and change the world through me. John continues on. He says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, referring to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And then he goes on. He says, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, I don't know about you, but simple math, that doesn't add up. How can someone after be before but yet surpass even though they were after? 
John is referring to the infinite nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is referencing the fact that Jesus has eternally existed and yet chose to take residence in our neighborhood by becoming a man yet being fully God. And in chronological order, John came first in how we do things, but in God's infinite pers- uh, purpose, Jesus always came first and always surpasses John. And then he says this, from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. Jesus didn't move into our neighborhood to shame us. Jesus didn't move into our neighborhood to destroy us. Jesus moved into our neighborhood to give us life, and he did so by his fullness of grace. Unmerited favor. Take a moment. I want, I, want to, I want you just to think about it. Are you comfortable in the neighborhood that you're in? I don't need to know. But what if I told you I want you to move into the most wretched neighborhood that there is, where people are going to despise you, not want you, they're going to ridicule you, and they might even actually crucify you. Would you want to move into that neighborhood? How many volunteers do I have right now? Jesus says, God, if that's what you want me to do, then I'll do it, because I know you love them, and I love them too. And I'm willing to do so, even though I've got the penthouse on the street, even though I've got the best place ever. I'm going to move into the slums. I'm going to move into the dark. I'm going to move into the desperate. I'm going to move into the areas where there is no hope. I'm going to do way more than report crime. I'm going to do way more than get to know people. I'm going to do way more. I'm going to give them life by dying on the cross for them so that they might have life and move from one neighborhood to another and never have to worry about that neighborhood again. I'm going to take them from the slums and I'm going to send them to the kingdom and I'm going to give them the kingdom and I'm going to give them all rights and privileges and all they need to do is trust in me. But I'm going to do that by dying for them. I'm going to do that by being bruised, beaten, mocked, and crushed so that they might have life. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of neighbor I want to have. But lovingly, I tell you, if that's the kind of neighbor that I want to have, is that the kind of neighbor that I'm being to those who desperately need Jesus Christ? It's because of God's grace that we have life. He continues on, he says, For the law was given through Moses. And what he's saying here is, is the law wasn't bad. Okay? Oftentimes we think Jesus, good, law, bad. Now, Jesus is way better than the law. But the law was good, but yet it was incomplete. It was insufficient. It was unable to do what Jesus did. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus moved into my neighborhood by grace and truth so that I can be removed from the slums and inherit the kingdom because of what my neighbor did for me. And thank you that my neighbor did that for me, and when I put my faith and trust in him, even though he is preparing a place for me in my new neighborhood, I'm not left alone, but the Holy Spirit moves into my neighborhood and begins to change my heart toward my Savior Jesus Christ. 
no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of God. We see opportunities where people see God. We see moments where individuals are fortunate enough to actually see a part of God. But what John is saying is, is you have now seen God. And you've seen him in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is so foundational to how we are going to build our heart to go out and be salt and light in the world. When we recognize God's passion to dwell with us, his pursuit of us, his desire to be among us, it should change our hearts. Because what we're going to see is God has done that to bring himself to us, to give us eternal life. But then God has said, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. And now you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you who have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, are to take my message to others. You're to move into their neighborhoods. This is so convincing because it's very easy to live in my own neighborhood. It's very easy to have my own faith. It's very easy to have my own life. It's very easy to organize my own house. It's very easy, most days, to manage my family. But it isn't easy to engage the neighborhood. But when we see what God has done and his desire to dwell among me and how he's changed my life and given me and us the opportunity to go and present God to others. And it makes me want to engage my neighborhood. Friends in Christ, we must remember God's passionate desire to dwell among us. We must remember the great lengths that God has gone through to dwell among us and the great sacrifice that it took so that we can have eternal life. The other thing that I want to tell you is it's by grace through faith that we are saved. We're not elevated above anybody else. Please, please, please stop acting holier than now. We're sinners saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus. Exalt Jesus, not ourselves. And I'm just as guilty of it. 25 years, 26 years, 7 years being a Christian. But I remember the days when I desperately needed a Savior. I remember those days of darkness. I remember those moments when I wondered where there was a God. I remember when I rejected Him. And yet someone moved into my neighborhood through the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and was willing to dwell in my neighborhood because I ridiculed, rejected, essentially spat upon God. But they and the Holy Spirit didn't give up. 
by God's grace, they moved in my, my neighborhood. I trusted in him, and I moved from one neighborhood to the other. Friends, it doesn't happen when we're not willing to go out and move into other people's neighborhoods. The next thing that I want to do, I want to lay this idea, what kind of a neighbor is God to us? Please see, God is a passionate God who wants to dwell with all of us, who wants to be with all of us, who has gone through great lakes and continues to go through great lengths to be among his people. But the next question that we're going to turn in is this, what does this mean for me in my neighborhood? And a better question is, what kind of a neighbor am I? What does this mean for us? Okay, great. God's come and he wants to dwell among us, but what does that mean? What are we supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be acting? And to do that, what I want to do is, is how many of us think, okay, well, it's, it's good and it's just about sort of preening things up. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. All of these things are good. All the things that are suggested by the city of Green Bay are good. But it doesn't change anything. Now let's be more friendly, right? Let's start there. That's, that's a good thing. Can we all be more friendly? Okay, well, to help you out, what we're going to do is I'm going to read a list. This is the Reader's Choice Top Friendliest Cities in the United States. You guys ready for this? Okay. Number 10 is Asheville, North Carolina. Number nine is Chattanooga, Tennessee. Number eight is Santa Fe, New Mexico. Number seven is Norfolk, Virginia. Number six, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and it's because they ran into Manasseh and Papa Jack. Okay, so maybe I embellished that. It's true that it is number six, right? Number five is Alexandria, Virginia. Number four, Savannah, Georgia. Number three, Key West, Florida. Number two, Charleston, South Carolina. Number one, Greenville, South Carolina. It's a great list, isn't it? How do they measure friendliness? What I want to see is I want to see lists where neighborhoods are changed from being friendly to being Christ-like, where people can move in with differences, different opinions, different lives, different racial ethnicities, and because of Christ, that neighborhood thrives. Not because of being friendly, although that's a good thing. Not because half of these places are beautiful areas that probably pump millions of dollars into their infrastructure, although it's a good thing. But I think we can change our neighborhood. I think we can do so through the power and the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do in this, as we ask this question, what is it mean for me and my neighborhood, and what kind of neighbor am I, is I exalt you and encourage you to turn with me to the second passage that we're going to examine. And that's in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at essentially verses 22 through 28. It starts off, and Paul is essentially addressing a group of individuals in Athens that would be sort of the religious, cultural, sort of uh, city hall type people that make things happen around Athens. And he says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now that what you worship is something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. But he is not far from one, uh, each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This passage challenges us because what Paul is doing is he's essentially addressing these individuals who are making statutes for the city of Athens. And he's going to them and he's saying, hey, I'm noticing that you guys are religious and I'm noticing that you're doing things, but I'm here to tell you that there's something very different that has occurred. That while you are looking to worship an unknown God and you're doing so in a building of brick and mortar, I'm here to tell you that the real God, the only God, is alive and has come and has lived and has died and can bring life to all. So stop doing what you're doing. What are some principles for us as we think about what does this mean for me and what kind of a neighbor am I? The first thing I want to show us is this. God isn't in the brick and mortar. He is alive and active through the church. God is not in the brick and mortar. He is alive and active through the church. And friends, what I mean by that is he's alive and active through you. You're the church. We come to a building on Sunday to worship and exalt God. We don't go to church. This building does nothing. This building by itself cannot go out and spread the word. It facilitates what we do. This is the culmination of our worship. This is sort of the pinnacle Friends, we don't go to church. We are the church. And what I'm going to tell you is this. The church goes out. It doesn't come in. We can build the note up. We can become the holy huddle. We can exalt our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can think that we're doing what we're called to do, but brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not doing what we're called to do. When we just come to church and then go home and check Jesus at the door. Think about this for a minute. And this is a challenging thought. Our natural inclination is this. I wish that person in my neighborhood would come to what? My church. Isn't that how we think? What if we change that to my church should go to that person in my neighborhood. How are we doing there? 
when we recognize who God is and what he's done and how he's died for us, how he wants to take residence in our neighborhood and the passionate pursuit that he has done to do so, that should change our hearts. That should cause us to want to engage our neighborhood. That should cause us to want to go to our neighbors and love them as Christ loves them. We look in these verses, and Paul stands up in a meeting of Areopagus and says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. We can be religious too. We can come. We can feel good. We can worship Jesus in our Areopagus, in our building. But I think Paul might have something to say to us. Men of Athens, Faith Bible Church, I see that in every way you are religious, for as I walked around and looked very carefully at your objects of worship, then we have a great building, don't we? Then we have a lot of good programs going on. And please hear me, these are all important, right? I'm not belittling them. But building and programs aren't what do it, they facilitate it. I even found an altar with an inscription, and Lord, please help me. If I ever say to an unknown God, do me a favor, make sure that I'm doing okay, and if I say no, it's to an unknown God, then get me out of here. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have something that is known. We have the greatest treasure of all. That's our Lord and Savior Jesus, who has died on the cross to give us eternal life. Why are we hiding that from people? And here's the next one. But we're so divided. You know, I go to that person, but, <laughs> right? I go to that person, but they're a lakey or they're a townie. They live on the east side, I live on the west. They're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Now these are these are humorous, but right now what I see in our world is everybody saying, I'm not gonna engage that person because they don't fit my mold. They don't look at talk and do what I want to do. And so our world is becoming so divided, so initial. It's, I will come to you if, right? You look like me, talk like me, act like me, vote like me, like the same teams that I like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can I ask a question? And this is going to sting. Did he say that to us? I'll come to you if come to you when, when you clean up, when you vote like me, when you act like me, when you're a Denver Broncos fan, when you live on the west side of the lake, when you're from Colorado, or did he say, no, I'm coming to you because. Friends, that's how we change this culture. When we recognize that what unites us is our Savior Jesus Christ, and even though red and yellow, black and white, what? They are precious in his sight. 
That changes the world. And this is the next point that I humbly but seriously make in our world today. Paul continues on. And he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Regardless whether you're Calvinist, whether you're Arminian, this is saying God's desire is to give mankind life through his breath. It's not saying God's desire to give mankind life through his breath when they are. Insert whatever your thought is. A voter this way, this kind of race, this kind of economic class. No, he desired to give mankind life. And here's the nail in the coffin. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set out for them. From one man, brothers and sisters, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight because we all descend from one man. We're all one and the same. If that can be promoted, if that can be taught, if that can be embodied, if that can be envisioned, and if we as the church proclaim that message, then all of this racial reconciliation will begin to take shape. But when we fall for the lies and when we look to the differences and we look to the difference of race and we use that as a dividing card, we fall prey to the enemy. The church should be the one going out and singing, I don't care what race you are. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care how you look. You are precious because you are created in the image of God. That's what this is about. That's the power in the church. To move in a way that looks beyond where people are from. And so lovingly, what I challenge you in is this. If you're communing today, and we talk about people coming from many places and many backgrounds, being united in Jesus Christ, do we need it? is it people from many places and backgrounds as long as it's not that race or as long as it's not this socioeconomic class or as long as it's not that person from that county or that state what brings us together what unites us is way bigger than where we live who we are what our national ethnic heritage is We're all one and the same. We're all made in the image of God. And when we look at that person, when we look at that individual who doesn't vote like us, doesn't act like us, who exalts the Kansas City Chiefs, or Green Bay Packers, or better yet, the Oakland Raiders, 
for some of you, and I just have learned this easy, what college team do you like? Are you an Iowa fan or are you an Iowa State fan? I just turn and I say, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I don't need a church split. Extrapolate that lovingly. What seeks to divide is of the enemy. What unites is of God. And what unites is the fact that we all descend from Adam. We are all made in the image of God. And when we can look to someone who's different than us, when we can look to someone who is not from our neighborhood, when we can look to someone and recognize that actually they are of our neighborhood, because they're precious in the image of God, it changes our hearts toward people. Here's the other thing, too. How many of you are pleased with where you live? Okay, some of you raise your hands. Some of you might not be. This is what I love. Don't miss this. It continues on, and it said this, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find them. There is not far from each one of us. Okay, so he did what? Well, Back in verse 26, it says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. You're not a mistake. You're living in the right spot at the right time because of who God is. And he's placed you in the right spot at the right time because of who God is. So for those of you who live in town, for those of you who live on a farm, for those of you who live in Guthrie Center, for those of you who live on the east side of the lake, the west side of the lake, for those of you that are townies or not, you're all in the right spot. You know why? Because God's put you there. So lovingly, who cares where we live? When we turn our hearts and our eyes to God, because God's put us there. Now, God's put us there for a reason. And that's to be salt and light in the neighborhood around you. If we can mentally recognize that God has strategically placed each and every one of you in where you are, our heart is to what? Impact Guthrie County. Maybe more, I don't know. But God has placed you in Guthrie Center. God has placed you in the town of Panora. God has placed you on the east side of a lake. God has placed you on the west side of a lake. God has placed you in a farm next to someone else. God has placed you in London. God has placed you in Dallas Center. God has placed you up in Jefferson or Bagley or Baird or Jamaica or wherever it might be. And we realize that God's put us there for a purpose. That changes how we live. And when we look to each other, and we recognize that God's put each person there. It doesn't matter what the home is. It doesn't matter where they're located. Our status becomes unified. Because the mission of God is to be salt and light. The mission of God is not to live at the right place with the best house and the best yard. And I just thank God. I love where I live. I feel very blessed for it. But if God says move here and move there, and I hear from him, then I'm going to move here and move there. Lovingly, I love you guys, but back in my day, when I was going to college, you guys were both on the radar. It was gas up in Omaha and get as far as you can get into Illinois. And if you're lucky, maybe Indiana. You know how many times I drove 80? 
You know how many times I went by the exit in Stewart? You know how many times I was like, yeah, there's nothing here. You know how many times I've had to eat my words? <laughs> God has placed you in the right neighborhood. So what are you doing about that? Well, that's the next thing. He wants to know you so you can make him known. That's why we're still here. It isn't about being saved. It's big. Okay, I'm not going to belittle the fact that we need to be saved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He did amazing things on the cross. But if it's just about being saved, again, we've said it before, then why after having put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ aren't we just zapped into glory? It's because we're the church. And God has called us to be the church, and God has called us to go and what? Engage our neighborhood. So think about this. Jesus' disciples learn about God. They see him rise from the grave. They see him ascend into heaven. They say, that's awesome. That's great. Thank you so much, Jesus. We're now going to go home and live our lives and go and close our garage doors and watch TV, and we're going to worship you, and it's going to be awesome. Where would we be? They opened up their garage doors. They went outside. And they went into the neighborhoods that God placed them in at great cost to bring God's neighborhood to us. God does it. God's the one that does the work. I'm not exalting them. God saves that they presented God to them. He wants to know you so you can make him known. I'm going to take a minute. I want to just read verses 27 through 28 to encourage your heart. God did this. So God did all of this. God put Jesus on earth, humbled him to be a man, sent him to the cross, had him die upon it, had him rise from the grave. Did all of these things. So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. How many people are seeking him right now? How many people are we missing because we're not going out into our neighborhoods? Friends, it doesn't mean that we have to immediately go knock on somebody's door and say, Hi, I'm from Faith Bible Church. I need to know if you're saved or not, and let me give you the four spiritual laws, although that's a good thing. It starts by building relationship. It starts by being light to them. It starts by letting them know that you're different. You're culturally different. And while the culture goes in and closes the garage door and watches the bigger TV and Netflix makes all their money, we go out and start by engaging our neighborhood. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God wants to know you. Brothers and sisters, first and foremost, if, if, you, if you are in Christ, praise God for it. If there's somebody here that's not in Christ, 
lovingly, I'm telling you, I don't think you're here just by coincidence. I think you're here providentially. I think God wants to know you. I think God wants to move into your neighborhood. And for those of us that are in Christ, God didn't move into our neighborhood so we could keep it to ourselves. God wants us to go out and bring that neighborhood to others. How are you doing? I'm going to just ask a question. How are you doing? Truthfully. How many of us are lonely? How many of us have deep connections with others? Please hear me. I'm not saying we all have to be best friends and know every intimate secret about one another, but here's what concerns me. In a world that is so connected, our society is so disconnected. In a world that is so communal, it is so uncommunicative and communally based. In an article from uh, NBC News, Julian Richardson uh, it titles it Lonely, You're Not Alone. America's young people are suffering from a lack of meaningful connection. This is what she says. The average, US per, or the average person in the U.S. has only one close friend. According to a study published by the American Sociological Review, one in four people have no confidence at all. This level of disconnection is dangerous to our health. In addition, a lack of social contact can hasten cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, heart disease, depression, and suicide. How is it that we can have a thousand friends on Facebook yet feel so lonely? How is it that we can have a million likes on TikTok or Twitter or whatever those things are and yet feel so alone? Please hear me, I'm not dissing Facebook and TikTok, but believe me, the world is starving for deep relationship. And it starts with us. It starts with us engaging our neighbors. It starts with us looking who's around us. This morning we've examined the question of what kind of neighbor is God to us, and we need to remember and see that God has chosen and continues to choose to move into our neighborhood we realize that it's because of God's grace that he wants to dwell among us. And that should turn our hearts to begin to say, well, what does this mean for me and my neighborhood? And what kind of neighbor am I? And lovingly, what I want to tell us again, that God isn't in the brick and mortar. He's not in the brick and mortar. He's alive and active through us, the church. And we're all one and the same. God has placed you in your neighborhood for a purpose. It's not by accident. He wants to know you. But here's the kicker. So that you can make him known. Take home truth essentially is this, that when we understand God's passion to dwell with us, we become more passionate to have him dwell with others. We want to take him out. 
So what does this look like practically? Here's what I want you to just think about and pray about. I just want you to take some time this week and just sit down and say, who's around me? What do I mean by that? Okay? Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your place of work. Maybe it's both. But who's around me? Who do I come in contact with? Or who do I have an opportunity to come in contact with? And I want you just to write some of those names down. Okay, this isn't a competition. I'm not saying, you know, we all need to get 20 names and you're going to be graded on this and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you come up with a list of two. Maybe some of you come up with a list of 10. But then here's what I want you to do. After that list, I want you to start praying for them. Because I think that the most important thing in this is prayer begins to break down the walls that are there that we don't see, which are of the enemy. Just engage in praying for them. I mean, here's what I want to encourage you in. This isn't like, okay, do this assignment this Sunday, and then next Sunday, let's see how everybody does. This is sort of ongoing. Begin to pray for them and look for opportunities to speak to them. Get to know them. What are their names? Okay, just what are their names? Maybe what's their background? Do they have kids? Where are they from? Right? And then if you're lucky, see if you can discern their spiritual condition. Now, again, please hear me. All right? Some of you are like, okay, great. Don't just go up and knock on somebody's door that you've never met right? and just say, hi, I'm from Faith Bible Church. I'm here to find out whether you know Jesus Christ. Just get to know them. Build a relationship. That's what Jesus did. He went to the disciples, got to know them, spent time with them, demonstrated who he was, demonstrated his love to them, demonstrated his care for them. And then they moved on. Lovingly too, and you know, so we present the gospel, and that's a great thing, but how often and would people really see if we care? Right? If we just go to their door and find out whether or not they know Jesus and then we never go and talk to them again. Okay, did my homework assignment. Right? That song that we see in the video, you know, we can speak with eloquence, we can do all of these things, but if we have, lot, have not love, we're just a resounding gong or a clinging symbol. I think we demonstrate our love by the continual approach of those people who are in need. And lovingly, I think we demonstrate our greater love by the people whom we approach. And when we do, they look at us and essentially they give us some form of gesture that I won't do. But it's kind of get away from me. I don't want to be around you. And we look at that and we say, okay, I'm going to go back to that person and I'm going to continue to love them even though they're difficult. Because that's what God did. And that's what Jesus does. Engage your neighborhood. When we understand God's passion to dwell with us, we become passionate to have him dwell with others. Let's take a moment and the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to move to our time of Holy Communion. Father, we do come before you, and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray that it encourages our hearts. I pray that it pricks our hearts. Father, it's, it's something not, I don't want people feeling guilty, but I want people feeling convicted. I'm convicted myself, Father. 
And I pray that in this, when we really look to you and how much you care to be with us, how much you desire to be with your people, to change our hearts, to bring us life, Father, then may that change my heart to go out and change my neighborhood for you. That's where we bring about true change. Father, remove in me that, oh, well, I'll love them if, or I'll love them when. Help me just to love them where they are. And trust that you will do the work. We plant, we water, you grow the fruit of the ministry for your glory, your honor, and your name's sake. We thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name, and we ask them by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children say, Amen. We're going to move to our time of.